1: And how many fans start showing
0: up. So visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. TCL is a proud
2: sponsor of the Score North Studios. Enjoy more of the things you love with TCL. These two guys have Minnesota sports flowing in their veins. Mackie and Judd on Score North and scorenorth.com.
0: In the end,
3: where I think everybody's going to land is that playing baseball is better than not playing baseball. There are so many downsides on both sides to there being no games this season. So practically,
0: pragmatically, logically, it just makes sense for them to hash out their
3: issues, to go back and forth, and then to strike a deal ultimately and bring baseball back at the beginning of July. That
0: was Jeff Passan. Major League Baseball Insider from ESPN. We'll dive into more of the latest on Major League Baseball's plans, the player reaction to it, including a great thread on Twitter by Sean Doolittle, a reliever from uh, the Nationals championship team last year. But Judd and Declan, I just want to say thank you to everyone who has supported the Mackie and Judd podcast, over the last 10 days or so. As we look to keep the Score North vision alive, you can help us by doing a couple different things, giving us a five-star rating and a positive review on Apple, if that's where you listen, or any other platforms that allow you to rate and review the show. That helps spread the word about our show to other Minnesota sports junkies like ourselves. And the second thing you can do to help us, we have daily Vikings content being pumped out as part of Purple Daily, the podcast, and Purple Daily the YouTube channel score North YouTube. It's just youtube.com slash score North where we crank out that daily Vikings content. And if you could subscribe to that channel, it also helps us a lot and interact with us in the comment sections and let us know what you think there. It's been, uh, it's been great to just take in some of the reaction and interaction from people these last 10 days. Our tweets are always open. My DMS are open on Twitter at Phil Mackey. You can email me at P at score If you have thoughts, or uh, at uh, Zolgad at scorenorth.com. So, boys, let's start here today. 80-game season or so. Let's say we get through this back and forth between the players and the owners, and we figure out the money, and we figure out all the logistics, and we fire up a truncated baseball season. To what degree does an
1: 80-game season help or hurt the Minnesota Twins? I don't think that it really helps them because – there's going to be, what, additional playoff teams. Now we're talking about seven from each league, I believe, 14 mm-hmm. teams instead of what had become uh, the normal 10. You know, if the Twins were a, a, a team on the cusp of being a playoff team, like let's say that this was a couple of years back, and you thought to yourself, this is a really good young team, probably not a playoff team yet. Then I think the shortened season, and by extension, more obviously, the additional playoff teams help them. But I got to be honest, this Twins team – is largely, it's just a shame, it's largely screwed by by this um, virus, and uh, as we all are, but when you think about this Twins team, this was built for the long haul. Like, this is a 162-game potential wire-to-wire American League Central champion. This is a really good team. I mean, this team stacked up really well. Uh, so beyond things like keeping players fresh and, you know, it's fewer games and all, all that, And yes, I do think if you are, if the schedule as planned for an 80-game season is going to be, your opponents are going to be the American League Central, which is going to become mind-numbing, but that's okay. I'll take baseball games. And the National League Central, which is better, uh, I do think that the condensed season as far as your opponents is going to help you, because if you're the Twins, you sure should beat the Detroit Tigers a lot, I would think. I would think that you would beat the Royals a lot. Depending on what happens with Cleveland, I think they might be okay, but I don't think they're going to be great. And the White Sox, as we talked about going into the season before, didn't start, appeared to be an up-and-coming club. But overall, this doesn't strike me as uh, that's a big break. It's a shortened year, and they're going to make the playoffs because of additional teams.
0: Right. Well, I can make the case on both sides. I'll start with the things that I think are good for the Twins. There's two that stand out the most. Number one, I do think it's a major advantage to veteran lineups that just have experience with their routines. They understand scouting reports and everything. Like, I have more faith in the Twins lineup to just turn the key and start the car and be right ready out of the gate one through nine for the most part. Then I do the White Sox lineup, which has a lot of young hitters that just don't have as much experience with the ebbs and the flows of a season or uh, potential sophomore slumps. Like, the White Sox are leaning on a lot of young hitters that maybe just are going to be thrown off, and I'm sort of. I mean, this is all just sort of anecdotal, but I I, I would put more money on veteran Josh Donaldson and veteran Nelson Cruz and veteran Eddie Rosario to just start right away as stop pros. with those first two. <laughs> okay, the
1: third guy, my veteran guess, not going to help him out. Max
0: Kepler is kind of a veteran now. Okay, that's better. You know, they they have mostly Rosario's going to strike
1: out eight times <laughs> per game for two weeks. You're probably right about that.
0: So I just I think this Twins offense is much more likely to adapt to these different conditions and and just be pros up and down the lineup. The other thing, and this is more of this this might, might backfire in some ways, but Jose Barrios has been great for the most part in his career. The first four months of the season, and then fatigue and scouting and all the different things that could catch up to you catch up to him in August and September. His career ERA in August and September is like five and a half. Mm-hmm. And he's a Cy Young candidate the first four months. So you could look at this one of two ways and say, Well, the road to August is shorter and therefore he's gonna struggle, you know, if he's gonna struggle for two thirds of the season. I I look at it and say, Well, if the problems that lead to him struggling in August and September are just like exposure to hitters and the grind of a season and him maybe uh, just being fatigued or whatever, well, like he, that's not going to happen he in an eighty game season. Dragging
1: cars across his home country in right. in, uh, in uh, December, correct? Previously, supposedly not this past winter. Now he was, yeah, he was
0: changing his routine to maybe fit a six month grind of regular season. But if that is still a thing for him, you're not going to be as fatigued sure. with 15 starts under your belt as you would with like 33 or 35, right? The disadvantages you alluded to one of them. I think the Twins are a surefire lock playoff team, barring a bunch of injuries in a 162 game season that only brings in five playoff teams mm-hmm. per league. They were built for this, it's for that, for the long haul. Yes, yes. they were just like they were going to win their division. There's there's two 90 plus loss teams in your division, the Royals. You're going to feast on the Royals and the Tigers, and and for all those reasons, I think the Twins were going to be a division winner that avoided the wild card round. Now that you're adding extra playoff teams and extra crapshoots to go through, it makes it harder for the Twins to do something in the playoffs because it increases the likelihood that you just get bounced randomly in like a three-game series or something. Yep. Exactly. Or if you get stuck in like, I don't know if you get stuck in a coin flip game or something. I haven't seen the layout for the playoff schedule. Right. But on the other side of the coin, because you're only playing central teams, your schedule... Your schedule's easy in your own division because like, the Royals are garbage. The Tigers are garbage. I think people are overrating both the White Sox and the Indians. The Indians are coming back down the hill. And the White Sox, to me, like everyone's hot on the White Sox. That's a, that's a team with a bunch of question marks and young players. That's, to me, that's like a 500 well, team looking to maybe scrap above 500 it, a little bit.
1: It's because the Tigers and Royals are
0: just so damn bad. I, but but look at look at the NL Central too. The Pirates kind of a disaster. The Reds
1: mostly a disaster. Like you have some pitching now, but I mean you're yeah you're you're right. The American League Central's awful. I I think we're hoping that the White Sox are good just to make it sort of fun. Like if you if you dismiss the White Sox and, and acknowledge that Cleveland almost in some ways doesn't care, in some ways they still do. But um that the division's a potential dumpster fire. Mm-hmm. I, I I was literally saying I think the White Sox are going to be good in the hopes that that they could at least just sort of stick around because the Tigers and Royals games for the most part yeah that's not going to be pretty baseball
0: yeah i mean if you look at even just some of the like like the fangraphs projections for 2020 you know there's there's not a whole lot in there's not a lot of formidable teams in either division uh, i think Cardinals and Cubs in the National League um I'm probably like the Brewers are going to be formidable, but you're going to play a lot of bad teams, which should pad your record. Mm -hmm. The, uh, the other thing I wanted to bring to the table too, is just, I, we don't know when the trade deadline is going to be. It's probably not going to be July 31st. Maybe it's like August 31st or something. If they start the season on July 1st, but disadvantage for the twins in this 80 game season, they are far less likely to make a big trade because I don't think they're going to be able to afford this payroll in 2021 with all the revenue lost. So, if they were on the fence about trading one of their top two or three prospects to make a big push for this year, the crap nature of the season and the fact that you're probably going to have to say goodbye to veteran players for 2021 means right. much less likely to make a big trade at the deadline this and year. And
1: to go back to my point about this being a very unique schedule and season as well, and I know we disagree on what a championship would mean, but if I'm Derek and Thad, I am far less likely now to package my prospects to be like, let's sell out to win this shortened season. Yeah, like Kirloff
0: off the table, you know, Rice-Lewis off the and table. By, by
1: the way, I sanction that now. So if they, if they come back and play, and you're thinking to yourself, you know what, it'd be really nice to get that ace, and they're like, ah, you know what, no, I'm on their side now. I am too. I'm not going to be – I'm not going to be – potentially sending absolutely key future parts out in trades to try and win a championship this season. Everything I'm doing in everything I'm doing in in basketball, hockey and baseball guys is geared towards the next season now. The rest of it to me is fun and games and that's fine. Bring sports back, but I'm not taking it nearly as seriously as I am what would be a full continuous season.
2: So, maybe alternate reality or hypothetical reality. So it's, yeah, Phil probably is queuing me up there. Yeah. Uh, alternate reality in alternate reality. 3, 2, 1. So it's August 20th at the trade deadline. And the Mets say, you know what? We will sell you Jacob DeGrom. And it will cost you Royce Lewis. And <laughs> okay. let's just call okay, it. Now, now
1: that you're laying it out now there. Now you're laying okay, it out there. All right, let's and see now, now you're
2: out? Are you really going to be out on oh, that? Oh, yeah.
1: Hold no, hold firm, Phil. No, you're not doing that now. All right, give me the trade again. Jacob Degrom,
2: it's just, it's just reckless wow.
4: speculation okay.
2: for Royce Lewis. Oh my god, let's even call it Brent Royce Lewis and Brent Rooker. Okay, wow. J- Jacob Degrom's a game changer. He's one of the best pitchers in the league.
1: But they're not going to do that. They they would come back with the Mets would a next the Mets would. Le- level guy. I think. Here's the problem with Jake Degrom, and
0: this is why it's a no. Okay, you had me there for a second. This is why it's a no. Age. So he's one of the best pitchers, if not the best starting pitcher in baseball. This dude, like for for people of Twins fans who haven't followed, like Noah Syndergaard has been the name that's been bandied about. and Now he's out for the season with surgery. But Degrom, in the last two years, one point seven zero ERA in 2018, Cy Young Award winner, and then last year, Cy Young Award winner again, two point four three ERA led the league with 255 strikeouts. He is as lights out as it gets. Here's the problem. He's 32 years old and he's under contract through 2024 if you include the last year team option for 35 million dollars a year. He makes 25 million they this can't year. They do that, yep. 35 35 32 32. And you're you're going to be paying for his for let's say the stretch run of his age 32 season. And then 33, 34, 35, 36. He's going to be really good for the duration of the contract. But because the playoffs this year are such a crapshoot, acquiring an ace starting pitcher for the playoffs in a regular baseball season is no guarantee that you get to the next round or a World Series championship. If you have to go through like an extra hoop or a crapshoot game or something, or you don't win your division because it's a shorter season, Mm -hmm. in a full season, I'm listening to this. But for this year, it's really, really hard to justify trading one of your top two or three prospects.
1: There's a so. secondary problem to this trade, though, as well, and th- that's going to be what every team needs to think about now in sports if they m- make deals that, for instance, send a really good young prospect or two to a team for a, v- a veteran player. And is that in the coming months, are we going to have more stoppages like like the, coronavirus yes, stoppages? Yes. So, yeah, if, What if you trade for Jake Degrom get, and then the and then the season COVID nineteen goes crazy in the fall, and now they they shut you back down. I think that this is going to firmly impact for a while. Trades like that. Trades that we probably would have sat here in the studio last July. and been like, absolutely, just do it. Do that trade. Now are going to make you think long and hard. Is this really, is this going to help me immediately? And if it does and I get a short pop-up, are we then going to have to shut things down again for two or three months? And now I'm really screwed yeah. on that trade. Dude, here's the other thing to you guys that,
0: is is just totally up in the air, and I think it impacts the twins more than almost anyone in terms of farm system. We might not have a minor league season. I don't think we're going to. Right? Like it's it's pretty unlikely that we're gonna play minor league baseball. Yes. And Royce Lewis and Alex Kirloff are two guys that are very high up in terms of prospect rankings and ability, but both had road bumps that they ran into last year. Now Royce Lewis finished off his season with a great fall league, like he had At the end of the 2019, uh, like September, October, he was great in the Fall League. Mm -hmm. But if those guys just miss a full year of development, and they're just a year older, and and they missed a full year
1: of development, what does that mean for them? Are they going to be on on what would be, I guess, the proposed Twins taxi squad? Because it sounds like there's probably not going to be a minor league season, but we're going to have taxi squads attached to the Major League teams, which could go, I think, as high as 50 players. So they would be, I guess, here working with the Twins – I don't know if those guys would travel or, or what, but it does sound like they're going to have your top minor league prospects, at least who you might use in games, can be kept on your roster. Then. But those guys aren't on the forty man roster, so if that's it, what I'm at, but are, are they going to waive that rule for a year know. if it goes to fifty and make it a fifty man roster, so they can be activated if suddenly yeah. needed? I don't know. That's I mean, a good it, does, question. it doesn't make sense if, if you're the Twins and you can carry fifty players and I'm not saying that you would for sure, but let's say you carry 45. It doesn't make sense to take a Kirilov and Lewis and be like, you know what, just go home and and work out on your own. It makes far more sense to keep them with you, have them work with your team, and even if they don't play, get that experience.
0: But that also requires Rob Manfred and the owners and then the Players Association yeah, come together to this? agree. Like, you want to talk about this one? So I want to read Sean Doolittle's tweets here. For you guys, Sean Doolittle is—he's the reliever uh, with the Nationals last year that wears the rec specs and strikes everybody out. Is
2: like a Star Wars fanatic, I believe, too.
0: And that's that's evident by his Twitter name, which is Obi Sean Kenobi Doolittle. Great name. I'm gonna get
1: past that (laughs) geeky dumb to take this very seriously. His Twitter handle is
0: What Would Do Do? What Would Do Do? Doolittle. Do
1: we get there? Can answer that question, yeah.
0: So he says, and he's been getting a ton of heat for this, but these tweets are making the rounds here. He says, so this is after the the MLB owners basically came out yesterday and said, hey, all right, we got it all set. 80-game schedule. Spring training starts in early June. <laughs> We're going to start this thing in early July. 50-50 revenue split. All, which is the, all
1: ready to go. You guys, uh, who wants to play ball? Put it in here the microwave and let's go play baseball. Let's do it.
0: Let's start this thing up. And the players are like, all right, well, wait a second. We already agreed to take prorated pay. And now you're asking for a revenue split, yep. which is so like the revenue is going to be down from what it was because there's not going to be fans in the stadium. And so it's kind of like it's it's kind of like a pseudo salary cap in some ways. It very
1: much is. And and so uh, to be clear, the agreement on the pro rated uh, pay for the players came in late March when it was clear that the season was going to be delayed. And the players basically said and probably rightfully so. OK, cool. Agreement done. At some point in time, the owner said, whoa, hold on a second. If there's not fans in the stands, it can't be that. It's going to, to have to be what they announced or came up with yesterday, a uh, revenue split of some sort. So the players at that point were like, wait, we never said that we're okay with that. And so we got to where we stand right now, which is what and, you're going to read for the tweets. And, and, of course,
0: the way it gets framed now and just the way that – and there's more issues that we'll read here, but – it comes off like the players are being greedy because mm-hmm. the, the owners pitched it and said, hey, we're ready to play baseball. A slight tweak to the money thing. You're going to make even less money than we agreed on a couple months ago. But let's play some ball. And the players are like, "Oh, well, wait a second. You guys are billionaires. Yeah, we're millionaires. Most of us are. But we already agreed to a pay that's cut. What we got an agreement on, in like, place. You guys, are you guys going to go broke if you lose a couple more bucks? And that's kind of where I'm standing. Like We don't get a look at all their books. But Listen, everyone's taking a bath. Not just in sports. Like, literally, you know, a fifth of the country is jobless. Right, People are taking a bath. Billionaire
1: owners of baseball teams, if you can absorb a little bit more of the blow for all of us, that would be great. And fans don't don't care about this part, but the key to this entire conversation that's probably not being pointed out enough right now is I believe the CBA between um, the owners and players is up after 2021. And so if you, like make one year, one year, only one year changes, sweeping changes, which, which involve what amount to something that every league with a salary cap does fill, this is this is paving a path that becomes, if you are the players, very dangerous. Yeah. A
0: salary cap would be great for the Twins, because then they would be able to compete on the same level as the Yankees. However, it's unlikely that this so would anyway. ever converse. So anyway, so Sean, do little tweets. Bear with me. It feels like we've Zoomed past the most important aspect of any Major League Baseball restart plan. Health protections for players, families, staff, stadium workers, and the workforce it would require to resume a season. Here are some things I'll be looking for in the proposal. Because this is a novel virus, there is still so much we don't know, including the long-term effects. On top of respiratory issues, there's been evidence of kidney, intestinal, and liver damage, as well as neurological malfunctions, blood clots... And strokes. And he's linking to articles as he's going through this Twitter thread, by the way. Uh, COVID-19 patients often develop lung scarring or ground glass opacities. These were found even in asymptomatic patients. And because the virus often affects both lungs, can cause permanent damage in some cases. Definitely a concern for an athlete. Research has shown COVID-19 may cause issues with male hormone ratios. Even in younger men, which could lead to fertility complications. Not ideal. Extremely suboptimal, zero stars. <laughs> we know that sharing indoor <laughs> we know That's that good. sharing indoor spaces greatly increases the infection risk, and it's rare that only one person gets sick. Will there be modifications made to clubhouses or other facilities to prevent a spread? And we've learned that you released the most virus into your environment prior to symptoms even showing. So how frequently will we be testing to stay ahead of a potential spread and to mitigate as much risk as possible? Fauci spoke about conducting an NFL season and indicated a need for daily testing. Baseball players might not be in close contact during a game the way football players are, but there's a lot of shared space in a clubhouse among players, coaches, and staff. Also, they're touching the same ball and they could they could swap the ball out 150 times or every like literally
1: every And the dugout time. and the dugout, think about, you know, how close guys are and it's gross but they're always spitting which they'd ask you not to do, but good guys luck. are still going to spit good luck. Yeah. telling a baseball player, "Hey, you know what, you can't spit."
0: And so Doolittle continues, how many tests do we need to safely play during a pandemic? And not just tests for the players. Baseball requires a massive workforce behind the players, coaches, clubhouse staff, security, grounds crews, umpires, game day stadium staff, TV, media. We need to protect everybody. And that's before we get to hotel workers and transportation workers, pilots, flight attendants, bus drivers. these are all essential workers for baseball. We wouldn't be able to play a season without them, and they deserve the same protections. We need to consider what level of risk we're willing to assume. 80% of cases are considered mild. But what if a player, a staff member, an auxiliary worker, or a family member gets a case that's in the 20% and they develop severe symptoms or chronic issues? One feels like too many. And he's saying there's a number of players and staff who have pre-existing conditions that are aware of and likely who aren't yet uh, that they are aware of. We need a plan that seriously considers the increased health concerns of the players, staff, and the workers. And this continues on and on and on. And so he got a, a lot of blowback for this, for people saying, "Listen, man, if you don't want to, if you don't want to risk it, then why don't you just stay home?" Right. Right.
1: Yeah, that's been the thing.
0: And yeah. he's saying, "Listen, this is his direct tweet from an hour ago. We're asking these questions because we want to play. We want to restart the season again. We also want everyone uh, to be as safe as possible." Everyone from players to hotel workers, et cetera, et cetera. And that's really the complicated part to this. I think a lot of this would be solved if we were guaranteed more testing. Until we're guaranteed as a as a country and for Major League Baseball, daily testing of all these people, I think this is a non-starter. So in the next... Playing, you mean? Yeah. I think a lot of players are going to balk at this. Oh, I do too. And does it come down then to, all right, well, 15% of players just don't feel comfortable do they continue with the 85% of players that are and now all of a sudden you've got like you know three or four minor league dudes that are playing on your team? I
1: think the answer to your question might be yes. I think it might be yes. I think where there's going to be a major problem as far as playing is this is already striking to me as the owners see this as an opportunity and and the commissioner as well to ramrod their ideas through. under the uh, cover of it's COVID-19, nothing we can do. We've got to go to a universal DH and oh, more playoff teams too, which I'm good with, I'm good with both of those, which which (laughs) if they thought it was right, but if you're a player, you know, sure as hell, once you agree to to this, there's a very good chance. They're going to try and keep that in place. And they're also going to try and, and keep things in place from the financial structure. And so I think there's two things here. One is the flat out question from a health perspective is it safe to come back? Is July 4th safe? I mean, we all want to come back, and I get it. There are people that are going to do their own thing and they just don't care. And you know what? If they get sick and die, I guess that's fine. Um, but should we force a work should we force a workforce to come back? And his point's exactly right. A workforce includes managers and coaches and an at-risk people who are 60 plus and then the then the question too and this is going to apply it to all sports in the near and immediate future you guys can you legislate age discrimination and tell people that can't work i mean can you flat out say you are a 62 year old a uh, first base coach with diabetes we can't have you die on our watch you cannot work for us i
0: feel like most of the first base coaches in baseball are 62 with some sort of... It's the greatest job in the world. Well, and if
1: guys can't work, I will work. Like, how many first... I'd love that job.
0: How many first base coaches in baseball have you looked at and said, oh, yeah, that guy takes great care of himself over the
1: years? Oh, my God. Bat. <laughs> Stop watching play. So, I, I think there's two things. Doolittle's points are, are good, but there's two things in place here. And... What I see, and this just sucks, and it's so stupid. What I see already occurring is what you see right before every strike in sports, which is negotiations taking taking place through us in this business, the media, and it just looks like it's going to become a standoff. And of any sport, are you serious? It's going to be baseball? The easiest thing to change? Electronic strike
0: zones because if i'm a catcher or a hitter that's like, one
2: less body too
0: i don't need I don't, talked I don't need that. joe west heavy breathing all over my neck well that's the question of can joe can
1: joe west work joe, we- joe west is not in great electronic drag-
0: strike zones no but
1: i mean can joe west work period can you assign joe west to a game like all right what's the option he sues you okay i'd prefer joe west sues me than joe west drops dead on my watch
0: well but the problem is if joe west sues you and has grounds to sue you and wins the lawsuit, it opens up the window for like fifty other but umpires then can I, to sue yeah. you. But
1: then back to your point, can,
0: so you need to come up with an agreement with the start. umpires' association. Can we even
1: start then? Yeah.
0: But this is this is why what came out yesterday from the owners was great, and I love it, and I love that it's like they're someone has to put the ping pong ball in the air, right? Like someone has to, someone has to start the wheels in motion if we want baseball to come back. And I think they're also looking at the calendar and saying. Listen. If we don't at least throw something out there now, right. if we wait another month, right. we can't start the season in August. Like they're looking at this and saying, if we don't start the season in the in the early part of July, the season is gone.
1: Okay, I like I like the rules and the games and being like this is our plan. But you tell me this: why don't why didn't they say we're going to talk to the player association on Tuesday? We are throwing out nothing as far as the financial structure until that conversation. Like, yeah. like, why? Why are you deciding? It, it's fraudulent. I think because it's. Such, here's my theory on all of this.
0: The financial part of it is such a big conversation. It always is. Mm-hmm. If you're gonna, if you're gonna, if time is of the essence here, and you only have maybe a couple of weeks, or let's say maybe you have three weeks to figure this out, and then the season's gone. Like, if you don't figure this out by the end of May, you you need a month of. Training and and spring, you you have to start the season in July if you want to play even eighty games. Mm-hmm. Unless you want to leak this thing into like December or January, and then all the logistical issues that go into okay, well, where did the cold weather playoff games get played, et cetera, et cetera. I think I'm okay with the owners throwing out a half baked plan just to get the discussion going. I'm hundred percent okay with that. This is how negotiations work. All right, I'm gonna take I'm gonna take a stab at this. Right. Obviously, it's gonna to skew toward what I but want. Why aren't you
1: working? You come with... back with what you think. But but. If they were sincere about coming back right now, the negotiation for this one time would involve both sides from day one. this They're setting themselves up to win, to attempt to win financially, which ordinarily I don't like, but I completely get. But this is literally taking the virus and hiding behind it and being like, there's nothing we can do. There's nothing... Why didn't you involve the players from day one side by side saying for one year and we're going and guess what? We need to play. They are. This is them being greedy again. This is them thinking only about one thing, which is their finances. And the worst part is this is them trying to set themselves up to win the next CBA, which is really B.S., Here's the thing if I'm the players here's the thing that I go in today on this conference call and demand I say if we're going if, we, if this is going to be done you are going to open all your books which they don't want to do I would say you're going to show me you are going to document x y and z of why you need me to suddenly change how how we've done business forever because the one thing that I read in one of the stories last night and it's exactly right is baseball's not a sport where, where when it's going well, the owners go to the players and be like, you know what, let's share this piece of the pie. Yeah. They they do it when they need help. So if I'm the players, I, I demand exact documentation of exactly what's going to happen to the owners if I don't go with this 50-50 split for 2020.
0: Reckless speculation. All right, what if it was
2: Rooker and Larnick for DeGrom? I'm all in. No, you, I, no, I'm in got, to get no. this ace. In fact, You're I are not doing think, anything short term. I feel like the asking price for people is going to be shorter.
1: Right, but it's a bad deal. You're not doing anything. This is this I, 2020, I 2020. You know what Jacob
2: deGrom is, and he can help you in a long season the next year and years after that, too. I don't know what Brent Rooker and Trevor Larnock are ever going to yeah, do. I do it for those guys. Do in I, a second. Do
1: I, know, do I know when I'm coming back and more importantly, if I'm continuing to play? Because every time you stop a season and be like, and here's our new truncated plan. It's fun for the sport to be back, but the sport's not serious. Like when basketball comes back, it's a joke. It's a one-off. Hockey's a one-off. It's not a joke to me. It's a joke.
0: I will celebrate LeBron James' next championship just as much as I would.
1: You will not. Five years ago. Really? So you would celebrate? I, I this is this is my warped thinking
0: here. A tournament
1: okay? type of little deal. Yeah,
0: it's it's, it's this is it's a, an even playing field for
1: everyone. It's the same conditions for is, everyone. These the continuation of hockey and basketball is going to be like a kid's birthday party. Let's play a bunch of games. It'll be fun, and that's it. Your season's
0: done. I feel like you've you've taken like an eighty game baseball season. Isn't it's not? All right, we're just going to start with an NCAA style tournament. Like you're still playing three months' worth of games well, baseball's better. to weed out
1: bad teams Base- and good teams. Yeah, but you're expanding the playoff format, you're changing the rules. And how much different can it? NBA... Which I'm fine with, but if, it if changes the, If the
0: NBA comes back and plays some sort of a modified playoff format, yep. there's only like four teams that have a chance to win the championship anyways. Like, So, what's the difference? And those four teams aren't going to get beat in the first round. The Clippers, the Lakers, the Bucks, and... I don't know, like the Heat or
1: something. But whoever the next team in the. I'm just, are, I'm the, just the the saying, Raptors. I'm just saying, it's far from the spirit of what you plan to do as a professional sports league. And I, don't, I can't, and, and, I, and I, I don't can't think se- it taints
0: it as much as you do. I
1: can't celebrate it, but I can certainly watch it because I need something to watch because right. my god sports, on my board, sports, sports Buzz Grinch. Killington. But sports I'm not, and I'm not doing. Sir, any do you trades? really think you're uh-huh.
3: suited to be the fourth guy in our group, Buzz Killington?
1: Right. Derek, Thad and I are out on big trades right now. We should get we should get one of those two guys on
0: right now and just, just listen. All right. We're just gonna throw like ten trade scenarios at you. Rapid fire. Yes or no? DeGrom for Royce
1: Lewis. Levine would tell you exactly <laughs> what he's thinking. Let's Thad, do that. Let's Thad get those would be guys like, guys Yeah, you know, we actually tried that trade last year. Um <laughs> uh, <laughs> coming up next
0: on Mackie and Judd the podcast, mm-hmm. our friend from Get Up, Mike Greenberg. Greeny's gonna join the show. He covered the Michael Jordan era in the nineteen nineties and he's got all kinds of anecdotes. And thoughts on the last dance. We'll talk to Greeny after a word here from Federated Mutual Insurance Company. During these times, Federated's got your back, business owners. If you're a local business, Federated wants to thank you. You are our community partners, our neighbors, our families, and our friends. And when you need Federated, whether it's now or down the road, Federated is here to help. A hundred plus years of experience based in Owatonna, Minnesota. And during these uncertain times, Federated has kept a strategic focus on policyholder service. The peace of mind that comes with putting your trust in a company rated A-plus for its financial strength cannot be underestimated. As a mutual insurance company, Federated believes their value is measured by the success of their clients, and that holds true even during difficult pandemic times like this. Go to federatedinsurance.com or call your local marketing representative, to access trusted resources you may need. At Federated Mutual Insurance Company, it's our business to protect yours. He is the host of Get Up on ESPN, 7 to 9 a.m. Central Time, every weekday here in the Twin Cities, and he's become a friend of the show over the past few months and maybe even an executive producer of our show, helping us uh, craft various segments. Mike Greenberg joins the show. What's going on, Mike? Thanks for coming on Maggie <laughs> and Judd again.
3: Well, it is always my pleasure. I, I think you guys deserve a producing credit on my show. Is really. <laughs> more the, the reality of it is that I just keep stealing your bits. So uh, I'm happy to come on because I'm assuming I'm going to get like two good, you know, hours of content tomorrow <laughs> from the appearance. Two
1: this, might be aggressive. I mean, one for sure. I Two might might be a big ass there, Mike. Well, let's see how we do. All right. Okay.
0: I feel like, so you, you I can't remember the name of it. Uh, you debuted a segment a few weeks back that we talked about on this show. Plausible, um, deniability. A plausible deniability that's what it was and like you debuted it so perfectly and then your co-host on the show just looked at you like you were an alien like what do you mean <laughs> what is this so
4: well
3: don't let
0: them well, drag we, you down
4: here's what
3: we have in common the three of us like most geniuses we will not be fully appreciated until long after our time
0: <laughs> we can only hope we can only hope that there'll be a ten-part documentary series on the three of us as, oh, as, I take as five. segment mastermind. I take yeah.
1: five parts. Doesn't need to be ten.
0: So speaking of ten-part documentaries, all right, it is fun to see fresh-faced Mike Greenberg in the media crowd there, uh, you know, working the scrums in Chicago. What has been your favorite revelation? I know you've seen the whole thing, but through the first eight episodes so far, what has been your favorite revelation in the Last Dance?
3: I think my favorite the my two favorite things uh first off was the Isaiah Thomas stuff from episode four um I just love the idea that real rivalries never die, like those guys should hate each other forever and and I don't mean they should do anything bad to each other, but like they should just they should be rivals for the rest of time i that to me that's what makes sports great um and so I love it and and I love that whole thing. the other thing was last night um, when Michael got emotional describing his own drive. Um, Because I spent six years of my life following that guy around, and I've spent 25 years since trying to put into words what made him so special. And in those 10 seconds, he said it more eloquently than I ever could or have, um, when he just said, this was the only way I could do it. And if you didn't want to play this way, and you couldn't play this way. You couldn't be with me. And I thought that was, I thought it was just very, very self. Um, it was very self-aware. It was very revelatory. Um, the emotion that he still gets, thinking about how much it meant to him, I thought that was remarkable last night.
1: Full disclosure, uh, uh, Mike, I actually watched that part and teared up myself because we so... Infrequently get to see people be genuine about things, and and that to me w- was a guy now in his fifties, probably more self-reflective than he certainly was twenty uh, or more years back, being totally reflective of what drove him. And I mean, we have seen you know a lot of great players and and ultra-talented athletes, uh, but when you get that combination of ultra-talent like Michael had combined with that absolute um, just will to win at any cost. It is a really interesting dynamic.
3: Yes. And then the third, which I think is separate from the drive is the supreme self-confidence. He was the most self-confident athlete or person I've ever been around in my entire life. He had unwavering belief in himself. And I think that plays in as well. So you've got, The extraordinary drive and dedication to to push yourself to the absolute limit. You have the extraordinary talent, which is is you know sort of the invitation to the party. If you don't have that, it doesn't make any difference what else you have. And and then he had the unwavering confidence in himself to be willing to put himself out there. Like it's if you want something that badly, it can make you afraid to lose. Also, but he didn't have any of that. He just wanted to win, and he didn't have any fear of losing because it never entered his mind that he might. And um, so I, he, was, he was just perfect. Like, if you were to design the perfect uh, athlete, the perfect player, you would design him. He was the, the extraordinary and, and perfect combination of the most charismatic and most ferocious athlete I've ever seen, and that's quite a combination.
0: Now, Greeny, the the anti Jerry Krause sentiments are very obvious in all of the episodes. But Jed and I were talking on yesterday's show that it it seems that not quite to the Jerry Krause extent. It seems that there is an agenda of some kind to take a few digs at Scottie Pippen. Do you feel like you know, and some of it's self inflicted with Scottie, like him quitting in Game Three of the '94 playoff game against the Knicks? But are you sensing that as well? That there's there's even even Michael in one of the first couple episodes, when referring to the playoff game that Scottie Pippen sat out because of a migraine, and Jordan kind of scoffed at the migraine a little bit. What's your sense on the on the Pippen Jordan dynamic here?
3: He also said that Scotty was selfish for having the surgery before the last year, the last dance in '98, which caused him and Michael to play without you know his usual best uh, you know sidekick, if you will, for so much of that season. Yeah, I think Jordan's been unfailingly obvious, uh, excuse me, unfailingly honest. And um, that's, that's rare. You know, th- that is very rare. Most people aren't like that. So, look, Mike and Scotty were together a really long time. They, they climbed the tallest of mountains together, um, but their relationship wasn't perfect. And most people don't bring that stuff up. <laughs> like most people, 25 years later, when talking about it, would gloss over that stuff, and he hasn't. And, and I mean, part of that is because he doesn't forget it. Like for most people, when you, especially if you have that level of success, I would imagine you look back on it 20 years later, and you really probably mostly remember the champagne. But he remembers everything, and he's not afraid to say so. So I, I just think it's been remarkable honesty. From him, um, and I, you know, I think he loves Scotty, and I think he appreciates him, and I think he recognizes that he could never have done everything he did without Scotty, but certainly Scotty was not perfect, and Michael is i mean, he's just not afraid to say so
1: hey as a per- person who, who was, was there in your case too, uh and covered this firsthand, what have you learned like are are there things that aren't necessarily do you uh reaffirming what you knew at that time? But have there been things that, that you've watched and said, I didn't know that at that time and actually learned things from this uh, documentary?
3: Oh, yeah. And not as much learned as, uh, to me, the most fascinating part has been seeing stuff that, as a reporter, you're just not allowed to see. I mean, you guys know what it's like when you go to a practice. I covered that team every day. So, you know, there's a tiny portion of practice where they, where they would practice in those days, and you see it in the, in, in, in the film all the time. The training facility was called the Berto Center. They have since moved to a new building, but that's where they were practicing back then. And so they, we, the media, we would be on the other side of a glass window, a big window, and there would be a curtain that would be up so that photographers, the camera guys, could shoot a little bit of practice to get some video of that. And then that thing would go down. And then we couldn't see what was happening in there. And then when it was over, they would open the doors, and we could go in and we could interview Michael and Snow and whatever it is we wanted to do. But the ability to see what those practices really look like, now, you would hear stories, but like, to actually see what a lot of that looked like for me has been extraordinary. It's like going back in time. Um, you know, it's like turning the clock back for me in my own life, like you know, 30 years and seeing stuff that I didn't get to see at the time. Um, that's been my favorite part of it by far. You know, I, I got to travel with the team, and then we would, we would all check into the hotel at the same time, But then, you know, Michael would be whisked away to wherever it is he would go. And I didn't get to see what his room looked like. You know, I didn't hang out with him there. So to get to see what it was like to be in his room, to be in his inner orbit um, at times that the media was not allowed to be around, that for me has been by far the most interesting piece.
0: And the dynamic that comes through the screen is you've got all these guys from Steve Kerr, even the Judd Bushlers and all these guys that spent, Several years, day in and day out, with Michael Jordan in the trenches, on team planes, team hotels, and and yet you can still sense in this documentary that they're all at an arm's length. That that they're not all boys, right? Not that there's animosity, but that you know, Steve Kerr, you know, they had the moment at practice where Steve Kerr got popped in the face, and then they were fine. But even as Steve Kerr reflects on Michael Jordan, it's very obvious that they're not best friends. It's very obvious that Bill Wennington and Michael Jordan are not best friends, and Will Purdue. Um, uh, and, and, and I think Scottie Pippen even coming through in, in this documentary, is that the sense you get to, am I off on that? That, Hey, he went through these grinds for, for 10 plus years with some of these guys. And yet, yeah, they're all kind of, they're all kind of good. Just, you know, letting those memories be where they are.
3: Yeah, I, I think you're right. Um, I think that, um, the comparison I'm going to make, and this might be a ridiculous one is I don't think people had a great time playing for Bill Belichick. I don't think Tom Brady had a great time playing for Bill Belichick, and I don't think most of the Patriots had a great time playing for Bill Belichick. But I think they all respect the hell out of him because he's so smart, he's so good, and he puts so much into it. And in the end, being around him meant winning. And the only thing less fun than, than having a lot of pressure put on you is losing. I have to believe that being an athlete every obviously I was never a professional athlete. I have to believe being a professional athlete in a losing environment, has got to be tough. It's got to be, it can't be any fun. So I think winning is fun. And I don't think Michael was fun. I don't think it was always fun to be around him. And I don't think it was always fun to be around Belichick. But I think that's the price of putting winning ahead of absolutely anything else. And I think it's not a coincidence that Bill and Michael have won the same number of championships. Um, And I think there's a similarity there. I don't think that Tom Brady 20 years from now, will have only warm and fuzzy things to say about having played for Belichick. But I think that he will say he respected the hell out of him, and I think he will say that he appreciates the fact that he pushed me, if I'm speaking in Tom's voice, to be the best I could be, and that we won together. And then in the end, that is the most important thing. So that, that sort of has been the, the sort of commonality that I've seen in this or what I've been thinking about while I've been watching the way some of these players seem to react to Michael.
1: So I think this, too, is where uh, 2020 meets back then. And it it was really good stuff at at the end of uh, Episode 7. But I found it really intriguing, guys, that there was this whole question of, was Michael a good guy, a nice guy? Did people like Mike? And, And, Mike, my question for you about that is, do we worry entirely, especially in sports, do we worry entirely too much today about if a guy is liked or, or a nice guy because it it feels it feels like if this documentary had been done on on Russell let's say in 89 there never really would, would have been this question of but was Bill a well-liked guy as long as you <laughs> as long as you won titles i guess my question is very simple
3: who gives a damn yeah i mean unless you're one of the people directly involved it probably doesn't make a whole lot of difference i think what this has been is a quest to understand michael jordan who is, the, is, is, is in most people's opinion, the greatest player ever and remains a little bit elusive. Um, and, and I think it has been a quest to understand him in, in his totality. So in that regard, I guess I do understand trying to figure out whether you think he was a good guy or not. The very brief answer I can offer to that is that in the limited, m- the limited dynamic of relationship I had with him, which was, I was just a reporter. was a re- I was one of the many reporters he knew who was around him every day and he was comfortable with me, but it's not like we had a social relationship. But I can tell you that he was with the media and in the in the times that I was able to observe him with other people because I was just present, I did find him to be a good guy. I found him to be nice. I found him to be polite. I found him to be patient. I found him to be friendly. I found him to, to be a, a generally decent person. Um, and I was certainly around more than my share of high-profile athletes who were none of those things. So... Um, I I I always found him to be good uh, a good guy, and I've I've always liked him myself. Um, but of course, I, I didn't have to play with him, and I wasn't intimately connected to him. So I, it's not a surprise to me that he was as difficult it seems on the people close to him as it turns out he was.
0: Greeny, before we say goodbye, and this has been great stuff. And and by the way, like. Thanks to Jason Hare and his staff for just pumping this out two months in advance to give us something to look forward to all week on Sunday nights. But in the spirit of always uh, bringing in a new segment into the fold when you join our show, we're going to do that right now to wrap this segment. This is what we like to call alternate reality with Mackie and Judd. And ordinarily, it's us going back to Minnesota sports seasons that could have been something more positive and what, what, what could have been if Brett Favre doesn't throw the interception in the 0-9 championship game, et cetera, et cetera? But for this one, if Michael Jordan, let's say he pushes through the burnout and the personal strife in 1993, and he decides to come back for, for a potential fourth straight championship after they beat the Suns in, in the 93-94 season. In that alternate reality, how do the next five years play out for Michael Jordan and the Bulls in your mind?
3: Well, there was a well-known expression in Chicago that we used to use all the time. Minimum eight-peat, my friend. And I, I did a very bad... Uh, I do a very bad Chicago accent. Um, but like the characters on SNL, you know, the Da Bears guys, they would say minimum eight-peat, my friend. And, and that's... I don't think that's unrealistic. Um, can I give you guys one? Because when you sit and when you play that, it's a terrific idea. <laughs> <laughs> just right, if Tony coach. When Scottie Pippen refuses to go into that game with 1.8 seconds left, and I've talked about this for years, if Tony Kukoc does not make a very tough shot to win that game at the buzzer, they go to overtime, the Bulls lose, they get swept in that series, and Scottie Pippen's reputation never recurs. never. It is viewed forever if Kukoc doesn't make that shot. So in an alternative reality where that shot by Kukoc doesn't go in, that game goes to overtime, the Bulls would definitely have lost. And then they would have been down three nothing. They would have gotten swept. Pippen, I don't know. I don't think he would have survived it in Chicago. I, I think, um, I think it would have been the end of his time in Chicago, and I think it would have completely changed the way his career is remembered. Why?
0: That's.
1: Well, wait, wait, wait. Does Jordan, does Jordan then come back from baseball and win three more consecutive titles? if Pippen, let's say, is a Seattle supersonic by that time.
3: Yeah, and that's my point. Like, history itself is entirely rewritten. Who knows? Uh, tell us, who Greeny. Let Michael uh, well,
0: here, well, speaking I, of, I
3: think, here's another. I think, I think maybe Jordan comes back. I mean, who You know, the Bulls might have had to have traded Pippen. So the question is, who do they trade him for? Um, so, boy, well, it's a good question. I'm, I'm going to say that they would have found a way to keep it together anyway, especially if Michael gave them some signal he was going to come back. Um but boy, it sure would have been a totally different world if that doesn't go in by crew Coach. All right.
0: One more, just for fun here. Okay. All right. So Judd brought this up yesterday. If baseball doesn't go on strike, is Michael Jordan coming does Michael Jordan go back for another bite at the apple in nineteen yes. ninety-four?
3: No, that one he does. He was going back. Michael Jordan wasn't hanging around. He he wanted to be the best basketball player in the world. Again, okay, not a double A baseball player who had no chance. <laughs> Let me say that again zero chance of making it to the majors i'm surprised he didn't go back sooner as one who was Hmm. there watching him play baseball every day um i i that one i i I think he was going back no matter what
1: how how bad was he as far as a baseball player goes if you saw him that uh, frequently greeny
3: by normal human standards he was an excellent baseball player okay by the standards of major league baseball players it was a great basketball <laughs> Fair <laughs> enough. <There it> is. <laughs> awesome. Mike
0: Greenberg from Get Up. Find it on ESPN every morning, 7 to 9 a.m. Central Time, every weekday. Thanks for coming on the show again, and we're looking forward to episodes 9 and 10. We'll talk again sometime soon, Greeny.
3: See ya. Always a pleasure, fellas. Thanks for having me. All right. Mike
0: Greenberg. Become a friend of the show here over the past year or so. Always, always taking our segments and bringing them onto his national TV show. Odds that out. this,
1: odds that the alternate reality segment surface on Ghetto hundred percent. Yeah, very likely. I think he'll be looked at again as a pariah. Then, <laughs> well, like, it, like it, I think if because former athletes don't like this stuff. Okay, just because
0: like, just because like, like swagoo <laughs> doesn't want. To speculate on what could have happened doesn't mean it's not a great segment. Okay, don't let don't let those guys get you down. Think about this:
1: a radio reporter back in the day traveled with the Bulls. Yeah, man was man worth. Well, wasn't he working? Was he working in radio and TV? I guess I could have asked him. I thought he was radio. It might have been both, but I mean, they still traveled. Like, can you imagine a traveling either radio or TV reporter now with? Yes,
0: yeah, it's a different world man and if well, the Wolves got
1: good you still wouldn't have
0: it well think about it too like to get into the economics of it like there were only a small number of media platforms if you were a sports fan in the yeah. 1990s you know there's not that many cable channels there's only you know there's a local there's local sports tv sports there there weren't really you didn't have your fox sports norths 25 years ago And so there are only so many places to get that information. And those places were probably doing very, very well in Chicago in the mid-1990s. That's great stuff, though. That was fun. Thanks to Greeny for coming on Mackie and Judd, the podcast. All right, let's come back here in just a few seconds and talk about the latest reports about a Monday night football booth shakeup. Luther Brookdale Toyota is helping power this podcast, Mackie and Judd. And they want you to know a couple different things. First and foremost... They hope that you're, and your family are staying healthy and uh, staying safe. And secondly, they are open. So if you've still got your eye on a new vehicle or a trade-in, they have taken steps and precautions to keep you safe and to keep their team members safe. You can shop their entire inventory from the comfort of your home, chat online with their sales team, and schedule a test drive where they will bring the vehicle to you. You don't have to move. You can, you can just keep being lazy like we mostly are here, and they'll bring a brand-new RAV4 or Camry, to you to test drive. Now, you'll have to give it back or figure out paperwork or something. You don't just get to have it. But they have announced some great offers, including 90 days deferred payment on both new and used vehicles and 0% financing on 2020 Camrys, RAV4s, and Tacomas. The service department is also still open. They have a no-contact system, including electronic checkout. LutherBrookdaleToyota.com and 694 and Brooklyn Boulevard. Gentlemen, get excited. We're on the verge of a brand new Monday night football
1: booth. Are you ready? Oh boy. Are you ready? Al, wait, wait, can I guess? Al Michaels and Peyton Manning are gonna happen. No, it's not it's not
0: Al Michaels no. and Peyton Manning. Tony
1: nope. Romo and Joe Buck.
0: No, it's it's not gonna be not going to be either one of those guys okay well
1: it's got to be somebody great so tell
0: me what it's going to be steve levy and either lewis riddick or dan orlovsky maybe brian greasy
1: according to the new york post what i saw this this is okay espn (laughs) can we just stop (laughs) Seriously. I actually love all three of those
0: guys in their current roles at ESPN. And Joe Tessitore. I don't love any of that on Monday Night Joe Football. Joe
1: Tessitore was really good on college football. I really liked him. I still do. Monday Night Football, not a great fit. Sean McDonough sometimes. Guess what? I really like him. Monday Night Football, not a great fit. The cracking of the voice. He couldn't
0: handle the pressure of those late fourth quarter You know what? You know what?
1: I'm going to go out on a limb here and give you a little bit of a hot, spicy take. Ooh. I think Booger McFarland in the studio and on ESPN radio is pretty good. I really do. The Monday Night Football booth was a disaster. But can we stop? Your games stink. The package stinks. I would, if I was in charge, if I was president of ESPN, I would tell everybody, we're going to pick a team and it will not change again until we get this package, if we want to, on ABC. Because the more I think about this... oh, they got, They're going to have to pay up for that, though. Yeah, right? but that's but here's the problem. So we talk about... And and I don't think I brought this up on the show before, but it, it's the God's truth. So every year we get excited about... My NFL Especially the analyst role. They're going to make a change, right? It might be Romo this year. They're going to try to get Romo. No, no, no. It's not going to be Romo. He re-signed with CBS. It's going to be Manning. Think about this. If you are... A uh, big name football football guy, right? And and let's say in Romo's case, you're you're good. You're considered very good. At least I think he is. Um, and I come to you and I offer you a really nice multi million dollar package, and you're like, this is awesome. And then I tell you, okay, but here's the one problem: you are among the best at what you do. Or in Peyton's case, you're just going to be great. I think. Um, you will never, as long as you work for us, work a Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. Deal breaker. Deal breaker. Because I can go somewhere else and get paid really well, and get, and guess what, Phil Mackey? I can work a Super Bowl. Yeah, there's definitely ego in play, right? You want to yes. be,
0: if, if, you're, if you're a quarterback in the NFL, you want to be able to play in a Super Bowl and win a championship. I don't know if Tony Romo considers broadcasting a Super Bowl to be his career Super Bowl. Maybe he does. Well, he didn't find on the field. Like, for me, if somebody wants to offer me a million dollars a game to call Monday Night Football, but the catch is I can't call the Super Bowl, I can call it a playoff game. There's going to be a playoff game on ESPN. <laughs> yeah, Texans I'd probably g- take the million <laughs> dollars a game. Wait, for sure.
1: Wait, you can call a first-round Texans game. Bill's Texans. On a <laughs> Saturday, enjoy that assignment.
0: <laughs> Colts okay, Coming up is, next,
1: Colts Texans. Is the
0: schedule really as bad as you're making it sound here? All right, I've got the Monday Night Football schedule up. All right, it's, it starts off, we get Steelers and Giants, okay? All right, that's pretty bad. Actually, that's, that's not good. Daniel Jones. Exactly. The, the Danny G-
1: Dimes. And now we go down to ben Joe. Ben Roethlisberger hasn't shaved his beard in 14 years. Let's go down to Joe Judge, <laughs> the Giants coach. What do you think about uh, Daniel Jones? I think the quarterback is really good.
0: Then the the next game, this is the doubleheader on Monday night. You get the the Titans and the Broncos, but that's tucked away at 9 o'clock, and that's probably going to be like Chris Berman or something, so you don't have to worry about that one. (laughs) All right, week two. Saints at Raiders. Yeah. That's not, that's that's intriguing. You get John Gruden and Drew Brees and Sean Payton. Yeah. Week three is actually a great game. Chiefs at Ravens. All right. Two of the most yep. dynamic quarterbacks that, in the NFL. That's
1: your one good game.
0: You get Matt Ryan, Aaron Rodgers, <laughs> yep. beginning of October.
1: That's oh. good. I like that. Oh, Matt Ryan. Can't wait for that one. Another
0: Saints game nice. in uh the second week in October. It's against the Chargers, but it's a Saints game. Drew Brees is on Monday Night
1: Football. No Super Bowl, no flex scheduling. That's all I ha- have to say. The second half oh, of boy. the Monday Night schedule is as dicey as it gets because you have no idea who's going to be good and you can't get out of it.
0: All right, yeah, you're you're right. You get a Tom Bradyless Patriots team
1: against the Jets. Who
2: November made that 9. call?
1: Patriots at Jets. It's a rivalry game, and they just give them they give them games like that now because the package is not worth that God. much. Because well. I shouldn't say that. Uh, they pay billions. It's worth a ton, but it's tucked away on cable with no flex scheduling opportunity. The Bengals, the, the Bills. Oh, the... My God. Yeah, okay. So why don't we... All right, Buzz, Killington's right for once. Why don't we go to the Zolgad plan? I've been calling for this for two years now, so let's do it. All right. Your play-by-play guy, Levy's fine. I actually like him. He's fine. Steve Levy... Um, you take your pick, Orlovsky, Riddick, and throw my guy Moss in the booth. Moss would make it more interesting. I don't think
0: Moss can be the sole color commentator. No, I agree yeah. with that. Yeah. I, yeah. It's I think be three. He, he's got to be like a personality guy yes. if it's got to be a three-man booth. If, it's a, if he's the third guy in a three-man booth and he's adding personality and flavor to it, yes. I'm all about it. Now, the New York Post floated a couple other options here. They said ESPN has also thought about... I don't know if there's been discussions or what, but they've thought about Kurt Warner and Nate Burleson. I think Nate Burleson would be incredible. Mm -hmm. Vikings fans remember him, 1,000-yard season 2005. ESPN's lead college team, Chris Fowler and Kirk Herbstreet, also remain a possibility. Here's what happened, though. This is what happened. We can't fault ESPN for not shooting their shot. They shot their shot. They tried to get Tony Romo. Yes. He goes back for like $20 million a year with CBS, and they tried two years in a row to get Peyton Manning. They have shot their shot. If you would say, all right, ESPN, what are you going to do? Monday Night Football. Well, you'd say, well, first things first, if you can steal Tony Romo from CBS, right. that's the first best move. If you can't get him, Peyton Manning's doing nothing. Eli Manning retired, so he's got no more excuses. You already partnered with but, him on this this uh, ESPN Plus TV show that he's got going. I think they shot their shot, and now they're just kind of stuck they saying, They supposedly,
1: right. though, drew a, a line for Peyton and said, we need a decision by this day. And Peyton's like, I can't decide by then. And they said, sorry, then. Why don't you just leave it open for Peyton?
0: Listen, if it's week four and you have an itch, we have (laughs) a million dollars in cash in a briefcase.
1: Next TV contract. Let's just do this. Get it back on ABC. If you want to simulcast Monday Night Football on ESPN, I don't care. But get it back in the Super Bowl rotation because then the league will help you. Like the league, the league right now just sort of throws them bones. Yeah, let's throw them the Jets, Patriots, great rivalry from years gone by. Let's throw them that, right? So let's get a system in place where if they go back on a major network, they will be taken more seriously, and then you've got a chance. The league will help them out.
0: All right, here's a question for you. This is something we always used to disagree with our old friend Rami McLaughlin. Rami always used to say, why are you paying $20 million for Tony Romo? I watch football games for the actual games and matchups. A broadcaster doesn't hook me in. I'm the opposite. If I'm on the fence about a like I'm obviously going to watch Tom Brady and the Buccaneers against Aaron Rodgers in the past, like I'm going to watch that game. I don't care if it's a silent booth. Like I'm going to watch that game. But cable access. On the flip side, if it's like. Titans Jaguars Thursday night game yeah but I know that Tony Romo is calling it for CBS I am actually much more likely to watch the game because I think Tony Romo is amazing and entertaining and compelling right so what would you rather watch all right an NFL I'm not going to give you a total trash NFL game but I'll give you like um like that first game on the Monday night schedule is Steelers at Giants yeah one playoff team and another team with the young quarterback. I'm not real interested, no. And it's Steve Levy and Lewis Riddick on the call. All right. Would you rather watch that? Or would you rather watch a MAC football game, Maction, Kent State against Bowling Green, and Peyton Manning is the color commentator? Has he been kidnapped? Is he okay in the booth? It's Peyton Manning. Have they duct taped him down so he has to watch this crowd? It's Peyton Manning and like Chris Fowler or somebody. Which game are you choosing? Are you choosing the. No, not, I'll, I'll, the take non-
1: the, I'll take the action game. Me too. I'll take Peyton Manning.
2: If you here's my. Declan, which which game would you choose, real quick? I I'd probably go the Steelers one because I just first off Peyton Manning doesn't do it for me. I really don't find him interesting. Whoa! Detail it it, it bores what? me to tears. I love that show. It does not do anything for me. He I I think it's it's not phony. It just does not go, hook Mackie. me in.
1: Way to go, Mackie wait ask him pull over God
2: hang it that
1: was... that's you we went... Go. you're on a balance here we go literally hot take
3: cops is recorded all on right. location with the men and women of sports my talk. License and all I'm suspects sure and so. are innocent until proven guilty in hot take court all right you been drinking you drinking
0: all right take your take your license and registration hold on a out of all your right. pocket i got my belly club out i don't want to stand within 6 feet, so you can just hold it up to the window sure. here
2: okay there you go
0: so i'm with you on detail I've tried the Kobe detail episodes. I've tried the Peyton Manning detail episodes. And then Dennis Rodman had one too. I'm in for like the first three minutes because, oh, this is interesting. They're breaking down film of like Kobe Bryant and stuff. But it's, these episodes are 20 or 30 minutes long. And it's just these full film breakdowns that I thought I'd be interested in. But I'm not. that's not what Peyton Manning would be doing as a color commentator. I love Peyton's places where it's him. They're doing some film breakdowns. They're having fun. They're going back and forth. I want personality Peyton Manning in the broadcast booth. So that's what I need from you as we pull over your, your car here, sports
2: take car. Are you out on Peyton Manning entirely or are you just out on detail? Okay. I do I did like Peyton on SNL. I'll say that. When he did Saturday Night Live the few times. There's some good skits there. Like he's funny there, but I don't I don't really find him put your hands on the car. All right.
1: All right. Well, He's not, not going
2: to give you the I don't, answer you I don't, want. Yeah, I don't. I don't care. I don't like him. I just don't like Whoa! him It just doesn't oh, do what? it. I just don't. he doesn't do it for me. He doesn't do anything for me. He doesn't do it. This feels he's not like interesting. a scorching hot take. He's not interesting. See, I. That, I should have his
1: license revoked. <laughs> I. <laughs> you're going to be spending the
2: night in the pokey at this rate. His, his voice is unappealing. Like nothing about him is, un, is is appealing to me. He has charm, and you are an idiot. Can you okay?
1: What what if we had? What if that. we had Moss and Manning in the booth? Oh my God, together that would so,
0: also cost you like forty million dollars a year not, to make that, that happen. So here's if you count the play by So here's guys.
1: the one here. Here has been my my Randy Moss should be in the Monday Night Football booth idea for quite some time. Okay, ESPN, the whole franchise of Monday Night Football for how long now has been trying to recreate this, we were the thing back in the day, and they were the biggest thing, and everybody watched us, and Cosell, and Dandy Don, and Gifford, and it's like they're trying to recreate, you know, we're we're going to have Kornheiser in the booth now, who I love, but They even brought back miscast, uh, Hank Williams Jr., too, you
0: know, to do the song again.
1: ABC, we're going to have uh, Al Michaels, and Dan Fouts, and Dennis Miller in the booth, and so... Nobody has thought about though how do we how do we sort of update this thing to make it different? And my idea with and let's just say for a second that you got Peyton and paired him with Moss. My idea is in that sense, in that case, the play by play guy is a facilitator. He no longer does play by play. Yes, like I don't. And it becomes a TV show, and it becomes a TV show, and and they and basically all I want. Um, whoever does play-by-play to do, is facilitate the conversation between my two stars. Yes, Monday Night Football, this is what Monday Night Football should be. If you
0: can't have the best schedule of games because of flexing issues and logistical issues and um, and these other networks are maybe paying more money because they want Super Bowl rights, like so you're not going to be able to get the primetime Sunday night matchup. You're just not going to get it. You're not going to get Hall of Fame quarterbacks against each other then you need to make it a better TV show. Yes. And you make it a better TV show if the personalities on the field aren't good enough because you don't have the best schedule, then the personalities in the booth need to be compelling enough for me to tune in. The football should almost be secondary. What you're bringing up, like if you had a TV show Mm -hmm. that was a great play-by-play facilitator guy, pick it, like, it could be Steve Levy, whoever the hell you want it to be, someone who's a freaking pro. Adam Amin would have been great, but he just went to Fox Sports 1. He's like in his mid-30s, like... Adam Amin. He's really good. And then you go Randy Moss and Peyton Manning. And it's a TV show where they're also talking about the football game on the field. Yes. Like, think about how fun that would be.
1: But the whole thing has been since Cosell of let's get this guy who's not really a football guy and he's going to entertain people and have hot takes, which is what Howard did, which at that day and age was absolutely great. But you can't do that now. It's not, you know, we got Kornheiser in the booth. It doesn't work now. I don't know why, but it just doesn't. I can tell you it does not work. But if you got, like, Peyton and Randy Moss, and they were talking football and bouncing ideas off each other, and it doesn't even have to be the most polished product. Like, it doesn't need to sound, you know, Jim Nance, what a booth. Jim Nance, you know. I just want them to entertain me, tell me about the game, which brings my second idea. If, if we're going to stay, if we're going to continue down the path that we've gone down, which is Monday Night Football, for the most part, sucks, okay? And and the booth's not that great, and it's a football game, so I'll watch. What about if it's going to stay on ESPN only? What about you also broadcast it, simulcast it on ESPN 2 with a different set of broadcasters who are just football-y, football breakdown artists of the game
0: so do what you do for the national championship night and can i get
1: yeah and can i get like coaches film at times at least for a while i think i'd watch that just because it'd be sort of compelling
0: yeah i I, i'm all about the tv show aspect of money that'd be fun if you can't get tom brady in every game then
1: but randy moss i think moss might do it and randy moss because he's such a wild card as we all know in life when it comes to what he's gonna say randy moss would be fun i uh Last thing, if I'm Herb Street and Fowler, I say no. Yeah, do keep doing. You're great on college football. Absolutely, that would feel so
0: damn forced. And college football is not necessarily a minor league to NFL no. football. Like, agreed. I mean, the NFL gets more eyeballs, but college football yep. is a standalone steak a dinner. Beast. And if you're the if you're the head honcho at that table, I think. And you're making a bunch of money. You're, yeah. you're in a good spot. Good point. So, all right, that's a wrap on this episode
2: of Mackie and Judd the podcast. We
1: just solved like eight ideas. I'm open ideas. to being entertained. Okay,
2: I'm not trying to make bail. I'm just saying I'm open to be entertained. But Peyton Manning doesn't do it. Well, Sir, don't talk back to the hot take right. police officers. Okay. Okay. That's okay. Another don't don't mouth off. Great. It's a, it's a hot take. You misgainer. and my wife both hate him.
1: I, I don't understand it. You're both. I don't. I just don't get you guys. They're both just jealous. Jealous of Dawn just hates charm. Him oh, yeah. too. His Can't charm. stand him.
4: Please. Thank you for listening to our podcast. Hi, this is Chris Howard, host of Plugged on Chris Howard. University of Michigan QB, J.J. McCarthy makes bold predictions but doesn't fulfill them, and Ohio State kicker Noah Ruggles misses an opportunity to etch his name in Buckeye lore. Fans love their teams and the players, that is, until they don't. When it comes to finger pointing, you'll find no greater antagonist than the fan. Why? Because it means more to them, or so they believe. As a former player, nothing angers me more than armchair charlies accusing the teams of overlooking opponents or blaming players for providing bulletin board material. Leading up to the game, the fan is the one talking the most, boasting the most. When the team is winning, it's a lot of we talk. But when the team loses, it turns into they lost. You will never know what those moments feel like because you didn't put in the work to earn those feelings from those moments. That's the great thing about being part of a team. You win as a team, you lose as a team. We cry, we console our brother, we don't point the finger, we go back to work, back to the early morning workouts, the hill sprints, back to the bloody noses and broken bones. Why? because it really means more to us. Hi, this is Chris Howard, host of Plugged In with Chris Howard. BetOnline.net is your number one source for sports betting info, stats, news, and analysis. Get the latest odds and trends for every professional and amateur league out there. From football to basketball to soccer and esports, we've got it all at BetOnline.net. And if you love sports podcasts, you can find those at BetOnline as well. We're always the fastest and easiest way to get your betting fixed. And don't forget BetOnline for NHL, MMA, boxing, and golf. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more. Been online where the game starts.